You're listening to The Omni Show. Get to know the people and stories behind the Omni Group's award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS. Music! I'm your host, Brent Simmons. We have a very special episode today. We have Daniel Jalkett on the line. Daniel is the developer of MarsEdit, which is a blogging app for Macs. And he's co-host of the Core Intuition podcast with Manton Reese. Daniel is also a longtime personal friend who I've known for about 15 years or so. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Very well done. So, Daniel, you're a busy person. You've got an app and you've got a podcast. Well, what else do you do? How do you occupy your time? Oh, I have um, children. <laughs> so I have uh, there you go. A lot of my time. Yep. I've been working lately on some contract work because my app and my podcast are not completely paying all the bills, but it's kind of nice to get a change of pace with that too, getting to work with people for a change and seeing, you know, different styles of programming. It's kind of nice. The contract work I'm doing is 100% Objective-C and over mm. the past several years, I've been switching most of my personal work to Swift. So it's a full-fledged excuse to dip back into the past, the very, very recent past, and uh, it's kind of fun. And you have a couple other apps too, right? You have Black Ink, Crosswords, yes. and Fast Scripts. I use Fast Scripts every day. Well, and Mars Edit pretty much every day too. Yeah, I think I have a few uh, good, dedicated Fast Scripts users up at Omni. And that's always gratifying to hear that people are using it. And that is one of my oldest apps. I was just talking to someone the other day about Fast Scripts. I think I need to go back and check like the records, but it's probably around 20 years old. So it's a wow, no kidding. It's been one of these things that, you know, I started at Apple before OS 10 and then I made the jump to OS 10 development before the initial release. And so I was working on like the public beta, even like Rhapsody stuff. I can't remember the details exactly, but at one point early, early on, I was still interested in AppleScript from the Mac OS 9 days, but there weren't any good tools for running AppleScripts on OS 10. So fast scripts happened. Black Ink is funny, you know, for the benefit of listeners, I acquired Mars Edit. And also for the benefit of listeners, almost all of whom must know Brent Simmons, our host, actually was the original developer of Mars Edit. But I acquired Mars Edit and as a as a kind of like fluke of luck, I ended up acquiring this crossword app, Black Ink, within about a month. So it was this weird time in 2007. You went on a like, buying spree. Yeah, I was on a buying spree. I haven't acquired anything since then. I don't know why. Maybe I should. But I have a nice diversity of apps to work on when I feel like working on scripting utility. I've got that. A crossword app. I've got that. I've got some other funny apps. But then, as you said, Mars Edit is my main jam, so to speak. And I've been working on it now so for 12 years, which is amazing to say wow. out loud. But yeah. that's in addition to, I think, the first five years or so that you worked on it. So it's been an in- interesting time. Yeah, I bet I didn't work on it for five years. I bet it was more like two. Two, and then uh, Gus did a little work, and then yeah, yeah. we moved along. Yep, yep. Well, Marzette, it's been very happy at its, at its new home. Yes. So... Given all this, family, all these apps, contracting, yep. how do you use OmniFocus to keep all this stuff straight? 
I use OmniFocus as the center, it's the core of my attempt to keep my life together. (laughs) I say attempt, (laughs) not because OmniFocus is falling short or anything, but because, you know, probably a lot of people can relate to this. I go in spurts of, you know, tackling my to-do items and sometimes letting them slide. But everything, I'm one of these people, I'm one of these OmniFocus users who takes the if it's not an OmniFocus, it doesn't exist type of approach to life. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, I should I should add a caveat, I guess. You know, as a software developer, I have a bug tracking system. So a lot right. of stuff goes into my bug tracking system that's not in OmniFocus. You know, the bug tracking, eh, it's a little bit more like, that's my job. And the OmniFocus mm. stuff is everything about my, I mean, I have professional stuff in there, but it's everything I intend personally to do. And I have it organized into, I do have like a personal, professional, and then as you know, I alluded to having kids and family, I have a wife, I have a family section. I really Mm -hmm. like splitting things up at the highest level into these three sort of categories. Yeah, makes sense. And then, you know, I can focus on those and, and I just keep everything in there. And I've, I've done some things with OmniFocus that you couldn't understand. You shouldn't understand. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I, I I still use with with OmniFocus that you might remember I blogged about this a few years ago, but I have this I think it's quite incredible setup with OmniFocus where as folks who use OmniFocus on iOS know, you can say like, "Hey Dingus, add a reminder in OmniFocus mm-hmm. to take out the trash." And I was not satisfied with that. I wanted to just say. Hey, Dingus, remind me to take out the trash, and it always goes to OmniFocus. Now, as far as I know, this is still not possible on iOS. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But I ended up implementing this as something I called Reminder Plumbing. I had a blog post about it. And basically... I'll put that in the show notes. I have a a regular task on my Mac, which is always running. And all it does is look for things in Apple's Reminders. And if it finds something... Pops it over to OmniFocus. So sweet. My workflow with OmniFocus is so integrated that even if I just say, hey, dingus on my phone, it's going to go to OmniFocus. And I really like that because, like I said, everything, if it's not an OmniFocus, it doesn't exist. Oh, I should add add this. Um, I know that on iOS, a really brilliant feature of OmniFocus on iOS is that it will import items. Like you can give it a named list and it'll import items from it. But from, from first, reminders, from reminders. Yeah. Okay. And um, I tried that at first, but then even then you have to run the OmniFocus app on the iPhone. So if I'm like heading home and there's this urgent thing I want to be reminded of, I can say, tell Dingus on my iPhone to set a reminder. But then if I don't open OmniFocus on the way home, it won't get ingested. So mm. I have this amazing setup. <laughs> <laughs> you can link to it and then other nerds who are as, as as crazy wrapped up in OmniFocus as I am can consider running this script to automatically import items and move them over to OmniFocus where they belong. That just sounds awesome. Uh, is it an Apple script script? It is. Yes, it uses Apple script to get the information out of. I'm trying to remember. It's been so long. It at least uses uh, Apple script to add it to OmniFocus. And it mm. might use native code to grab the information out of the reminders database. Oh, I guess I didn't realize we had access to that via native code. That's cool. 
I mean, it's it's the cool thing about Apple's, you know, the same thing with their calendar and their reminder system and their contact system is third-party developers can access that stuff. And mm. it shows up in places like an OmniFocus. You might notice sometimes it says like, here's something that you didn't put into OmniFocus, but I noticed it's coming up on your calendar. Mm. And that's right. a cool feature that OmniFocus gets from being able to peek into the calendar. Yeah, that's great. Do you ever find yourself filing things in OmniFocus that say, post the following bug to the bug tracker. I do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All the time. It's my first line of, you know, dealing with anything that I have to do at all. Mm-hmm. So that will include things like file a bug against myself, file a bug with Apple, little things like I get an email and I see that the email came in and I notice that it's important and I don't even want to do anything like tap it and try to create a, you know, new to do from it. So I just say, Hey, Dingus, remind me to reply to that email from Brent. Mm-hmm. So everything goes through. And I, for me, it's a, an important part of managing everything to make sure that there's a single point where everything funnels through. And without that, there would be some place where things got lost. There'd be like a, like I, I used to do copious paper notes. I used to do like checklists on paper and have notes and there'd always mm-hmm. be index cards next to my computer. I still have, I'm looking here at my computer. I still have the pile of index cards, but I don't use them for to-dos anymore. Oh, okay. When you're at your Mac, I assume you have OmniFocus for Mac running, or you tend to be more looking at it on like your iPhone or iPad to the side? Almost always on the Mac, actually. I do enjoy Mm. it. I would say I use OmniFocus 80% on the Mac, 20% on iOS, and it's almost never iOS in my home. Mm. I use those features like OmniFocus geolocated lists. So you can say, hey, here I am, the hardware store. And it'll say, well, here's something you can buy. So I use, I love those things about the iOS version. Um, not, not as applicable on the home version, but uh, I like setting those kinds of things up so that I can just know, you know, because here's the, here's the truth of it. Why, why do I love OmniFocus? Because I'm one of these people, maybe you can relate, who forgets everything. And everything entirely. Yep. Everything. <laughs> I don't even know who I'm talking to right now. It's, uh, I, <laughs> if it didn't say on the screen I'm looking at, Daniel Jowkett. Yeah, I wouldn't. Well, know. I'm just yeah. looking at some notes that say Omni Show, and right. um, I guess that's what we are we're on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're really, recording. You know, yeah, it's a real great. I mean, it's <laughs> ama- amazing to think of people like me who tried to get through life without some of these technological aids. Because I mean, like I said, I had the the index cards were helpful, um, and I suppose I'd be you know muddling through with the index cards if it wasn't for software. But it sure is a nice aid to, you know, some somebody who is otherwise pretty capable about getting things done and accomplishing things. It just would be hopeless because I, I would just forget everything I ever wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So when you're using the app, do you tend to live in one particular view? Like um, for me, I'm almost always in the forecast view unless I'm doing some kind of entering a bunch of stuff or managing a certain project. That way I'm always looking at what I have to do today. Pretty much exactly the same here. Forecast is big. The exceptions are, I actually have an OmniFocus task, a recurring task that is every day. And I have to admit, sometimes I let it slide. But my task every day is clear out the OmniFocus inbox. And so mm-hmm. it's like a little meta task. It says, hey, get over there into that inbox you've been ignoring because you've just been looking at the forecast. And that's where all the stuff that I've added, either either through the, I use the um, OmniFocus keyboard shortcut for quick add, or is it mm-hmm. control option space maybe. And that's like my Mac-based version of the 
a dingus on my iPhone. So everything shows up in my inbox. I get a reminder that says, hey, this is one of the things you need to do. It comes up on the forecast. You need to go clear out your inbox. Go in there, organize all that stuff, assign it, delete it, tag it, whatever. And then the only other time I really spend outside of that is if I'm doing some real just like structural reorganization or if I'm like, I have like things like taxes in OmniFocus. So I have one of the things I've gotten better at is filing taxes. That seems important. Yeah, well, I only achieved it by gradually over the years building this list of things I keep in OmniFocus. It's like everything you could imagine you have to do to file your taxes in like a nested hierarchy. And so I use a focus view on that. I, I focus that in a new window if I'm working on that. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, do you have to file quarterly? No, I'm a um, sole proprietor slash LLC. So I just do the, the annual thing. Oh, good. True. Yeah. But, you know, that sort of reminds me, the other thing I like using with OmniFocus, and this is something I want to develop more, is I have a bunch of reusable lists in OmniFocus, which are things like, like I'm looking at in it, in it right now, um, I have a whole category of reusable lists that are called travel. And okay. I have a generic traveling checklist. And then I have like checklists for the places I travel to frequently, like travel checklist New York. And then Mm -hmm. one of the things that gets me out of the forecast view is if I'm going to go start planning a trip to New York, I have this section of OmniFocus that's kind of not intended to be used actively. It's like my templates. They're all Mm -hmm. unchecked, uncompleted lists. And then when I want to use one, I option drag it into the correct area. And then I have a new item and I can name it like New York, October 2019. But it's got all my stuff I ever put on a checklist for New York. And I like that. That's, that's, a, that's a nice trick for me to um, have not just things that I think of off the fly, but things that I collect over time as like my, if you want to do New York right, this is how you do it every time. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, because you're, you're applying your, your learning and experience to uh, refining those lists. Yep. Some people do those templates using a script, but I like your simple method of just having yeah. it there and option dragging to copy it. Well, to be honest with you, I have an ambition to sort of scriptify this a little bit more because I love OmniFocus's scriptability. I use some scripts already. I have things like, um, I have a script that, well, speaking of these reusable lists, um, I have a script called recursively mark undone. It just goes through mm. whatever I'm on and makes it all undone again. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of a precursor to me figuring out this, like just make one fresh one and keep copying it. Um, but I have an idea to sort of like make this, these reusable lists more componentized in these travel lists. For example, I already have these sections like clothing and I always, I, to be honest, I'm, I mean, this is funny. I'm not a neat person or an organized person, but OmniFocus inspires me to be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit um, fussy. So I have in my travel lists, I have things like clothing, warm weather, clothing, cold weather. Right. Mm. So I do have it in mind that I could have a script that I could say, taking a trip and then it would just say like it would prompt me and say like okay where are you going what season is it etc and then i'd have Mm -hmm. this great great automatic list maybe that's Uh, a little too fussy but i don't know it sounds pretty cool though yeah it would know if you needed warm or cold and yeah exactly and it'll just and what it would do is would know where to find in my sort of repository of golden omnifocus checklists how to piece them together and i'd be golden so i wonder if um we're we're working on Omni automation, which will bring JavaScript scripting to OmniFocus. Wonder if this would make it easier for you, more likely to do these kinds of things. 
Or are you such an Apple script old hand that doesn't actually matter that much? <laughs> you know what? We're not going it, to, it's going to make it easier eventually, probably because we're not going to have the choice of, of Apple script eventually, I think. Yeah, I wonder. I think yeah. that's a sort of a healthy fear anyway for anybody who's interested in automation. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, that's some was he either maybe that was in the back of somebody's mind when they started looking at omni automation um yeah i uh i actually wouldn't know but i've been living with the fear of apple script going away for 19 years now yeah <laughs> I've come well, to, i'm treating the, the fear <laughs> itself as a permanent state of affairs well and i know that sal sagoyan has been working with you folks right so yep yeah that's great for you mm -hmm. through omni i hope that he can help you know, you guys establish this new way of scripting. But just on that note, like speaking of like being worried about Apple script for 19 years, it used to be when you were worried about Apple script, you look to Apple and you say, well, at least Sal is still there. Yeah. That's you know? a good point. Yeah. So here's hoping for the best. He, yeah. Hopefully he will help you all just, uh, you know, make a standard, establish at least a, a strategy for moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like JavaScript is the language of today, um, at least in general terms. So that's probably uh -huh. a good yep. choice. Yeah, it's funny. I have this blog post from years and years ago where I proposed JavaScript should be the new scripting language for the Mac. Should dig that up, uh, see how it holds up. But I'm not married to AppleScript. I love it because it's there, you know. Mm. And I do appreciate some of the user-friendly aspects of it you know being readable but i think it earns that read-only language yeah right it's hard to write yeah but i'd be happy to have you know something new i'm kind of optimistic that the ios uh what's it called shortcuts mm -hmm. that will make a sort of you know intrusion into the mac but we'll see how things go i guess yeah i hope that happens yeah we we shall definitely see I never loved AppleScript, the language, you know, as you mentioned, it's read only, right. but I loved what it enabled and um, the technology yeah. under the hood of Apple events, even if writing Apple events code in C or whatever, or Objective-C is not beautiful. What Apple events could do was beautiful. Yes. Is beautiful. Right. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we probably just have to accept it that that level of degradation is, at least in the, the way we enjoyed it with Apple events is, I don't think that's coming back as, as it was. Right. But it's interesting to watch how people make the effort to achieve the same kinds of things with technology like shortcuts. And if it ends up achieving the same kinds of things, I really don't care how it how it gets done. But it is a really nice resource to have that ability to go the extra mile. I know Omni Omni's apps are great for this because I've mostly used OmniFocus in the recent years. I haven't done a lot with other Omni apps, but I know that AppleScript has often been, or increasingly, I guess now, this new script ability. But the ability to automate Omni apps, I think, is something I've always appreciated because it allows Omni's apps to span from that beginner level user to the like highly advanced level user uh, without impinging on the usability at either end. And I think that's what this kind of automation really is for. Yeah, people do things that either we would never dream of or we wouldn't put those in the app because it's a thing that only helps a single person. Right, just a few people, but they can make it themselves, and that's huge. Right. Uh, Mars Edit is scriptable too, as I recall. Right, it's it is a good thing yep. in general for Mac apps. Yeah, yeah. I always get really disappointed when I see a Mac app that you know I think, oh, this doesn't quite do what I want, and I go to the you know I use Fast Scripts myself all the time. And one of the things that Fast Scripts is great for is you can give it keyboard shortcuts. So 
I have a keyboard shortcut. No matter what app I'm in, it will open up the apps dictionary and create a new script in script editor. Mm. And I often just hit that keystroke to see, well, what, what will this app let me do? And increasingly, of course, it's this app is not scriptable. Uh, but when it is, it's often very gratifying to be able to say, OK, well, this lets me go the final mile of this marathon, mm-hmm. um, get what I want, want out of the app. So let's give folks a chance to know you a little bit better. Where'd you go to college, Daniel? Well, the funny thing is I went to college twice. <laughs> Everything about my education is, is funny. So <laughs> I guess I should say I went to college three times. I went to college once when I left high school early as a 15-year-old. And I went to community college in Santa Cruz, California, Cabrillo Community College. And I didn't really know what I was doing. Didn't know what I wanted to do. I just didn't want to be in high school. Yeah, that's and, pretty early um, age. So, yeah. Yeah, I just knew, yeah, I'm I'm grateful in retrospect that I knew enough about myself to know I didn't want to be in high school, but I also knew enough about myself that I didn't want to be aimless without anything I was Mm. doing. And then in the absence of anything else, I sort of just kept going to school, but in college to, to sort of have something I'm doing. Sure. And I ended up transferring to UC Santa Cruz, very close by. That's the University Mm -hmm. of California. And I got a degree title that dates from the 60s, Computer and Informational Sciences. CIS? Yeah, CIS. Okay. Because they added computer to the existing informational sciences degree. Ah, all right. And then I I got a degree. I went to work for Apple almost like before I even graduated. And then... So this is uh, mid-90s or what are we talking about? Yeah, uh, I graduated in 1995 and I had started working as a contractor at Apple. Off and on in 1994. Uh, this is before Steve Jobs's return, even. Yeah. It was, yeah. I was actually um, working for Gil Emilio. Then Steve Jobs came back. I got hired, uh, I think, a little before Steve Jobs came back to 1996. Worked there until 2002. I quit Apple in 2002 and decided to go back to school for a second degree. And mm. this time I went to another sort of smaller, smaller school. I went to City College of San Francisco to sort of shore up my prerequisites to go to San Francisco state for a music degree. So I got two degrees almost exactly 10 years apart. I ended up graduating um, 2005 with a second degree from San Francisco state. And it was all part of that process of leaving Apple and getting this music degree that I got tuned into the idea of being an indie software developer because I didn't Uh have a job. I was like, Oh, yeah, money might be kind of nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you could make something and sell it. It's worked for some exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what got me down that path. And I was doing consulting, and then I started making my own apps. And you know, actually, to be honest with you, it was a big turning point for me when I took over Mars Edit. That was like a great opportunity to get an existing user base that was passionate, fired up about the app. I was I was among them. I was one of the people fired up about Mars Edit. I was a user mm-hmm. before I. Oh, I over. remember it well, yeah. And so that was kind of a good little kickstart for me. I just can't believe it's been 12 years since then. Yeah. Wow. Time flies. <laughs> I've been in Omni for five years. I saw that. I saw your blog it's just That's great. Stuns, stuns me. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So, so what, what made you go to music school? Well, I've always been interested in music. I think, I don't know if I was always interested in music independently of this, but I can trace back to the third grade, this is just an example of the power of teachers. Mm. The third grade, 
We're all singing in our class and the music teacher just said, he, you have a good singing voice. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And, you know, it's kind of like too bad for all the other kids that she didn't say that to at least that <laughs> right. day. But yeah. it stuck with me and I was like, maybe I'm a music person, you know, and mm-hmm. it informed me not being afraid to be musical. And I don't think, you know, I never became like a virtuoso of anything, but I was always interested in music. And I think I engaged in music a little more naturally than some people do. And when I was at the UC Santa Cruz, I ended up taking like an entry level music theory class. And then I, at that point, I I sort of thought like, was it, was it, was this the wrong idea? Should I have gone to music school instead of computer and informational sciences school? Mm -hmm. But it was too late. I was like the last semester of my degree and uh, I got my degree and I was out of there and I went to work at Apple. And I think it was sort of nagging at me all that time. Like what would have happened if I would have gone to music school? Mm -hmm. And I sort of just decided I was, I think, 26 years old when I when I left Apple. Mm, Still pretty young, pretty young. Yeah, I had a pretty I had a pretty long career at Apple for a young person. Yeah. And I left Apple just to sort of like make sure I wasn't wasn't missing something mm. actually and it turns out i wasn't <laughs> <laughs> so though going to music school even if you don't become a professional musician yeah that, that just must be great i mean i love music too i play a little but uh yep. you know i haven't been to school it would be great to you know it was have I the mean, time to learn a lot more yeah. yeah i mean it was it was amazing it was it was a great opportunity for me that was only possible because i had had those several years working at apple as a young person fr- fairly frugal no family yet, you know, mm. r- relatively inexpensive rent. I was able to save up money and basically look at that as like, I can afford to, you know, I said earlier, I needed to get some money. So I, so I started doing some contracting. I didn't strictly probably need to get the money, but it was nice not to be just draining all my savings, but it, I, but yeah, it was nice sure. to have that safety net. And it was amazing experience because I had no idea how grueling music school is really, even for people who have, practiced their whole lives i think a lot of people did find it very difficult i don't think san francisco state was unusual Mm. it's just you know they demand a lot of you and as a person who was not a lifetime like a lot of people in that program were taking lessons their whole life and they were Mm. let's just say it they're a lot better than me but yeah it was it was a trial by fire it was kind of cool it was cool to just have like every day be you need to go practice some music stuff and learn some music stuff. And I had a lot of semesters that were every day started at 8 a.m. with your training class. So I was oh, like, seriously, uh, the, like I said, the trial by fire. Yeah, I couldn't. Even at age 26, <laughs> 8 a.m. for ear training. Now, so between the two of us, we have one degree on average. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. See, you didn't, you didn't miss anything. That's Evergreen. Right, yeah. Oh, see, I've, so folks who don't know, I've had the the benefit of interviewing Brent before mm-hmm. on uh, my bit splitting podcast. Right? That was on there, yeah, right? Yeah, that was on yeah. bit splitting. Yeah. So yeah, I can just right. conjure. I can just pull can just out remember of thin air Evergreen uh, State College. Yeah. Yep, I had two years, two years of not very productive anything, then a little community college. But yeah. yeah, yeah, no degree for me. I like to brag that I'm the first person in my family not to get a degree. <laughs> you really bucked the trend. You really pulled your uh, family I out did. of that academic slump. There. I know. I mean, my nuclear family is my parents and my sister. They all have advanced degrees. I got nothing. Yeah. 
See, this is just like, it's kind of like what you said with the average between us being one. It's the average yeah. between you and your family is yeah, right. way, you, yeah. you don't need to even register. Yeah. Well, you know, they don't have a Macworld Eddie either. Yeah. Heck, I've got two. So <laughs> between the four of us, we each ha- average uh, half. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I'll say this has been a great podcast. And thanks so much for coming in and talking to us about how you use OmniFocus and letting people get the chance to know you. Thanks so much for letting me be the uh, first. Am I the first? Uh, yeah, you're the first. You're the first remote recording. Um, I love it. It's great to be yeah. here at Omni. And thanks so much for doing the show. Thanks for all your great software. And uh, oh, thank you again. Thanks for letting me be on your show. Well, where can people find you on the web? A good place to start is my blog, bitsplitting.org. Mm-hmm. I also have my company, which is Red Sweater, which is red-sweater.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm on a lot of social media sites as Daniel Punkass. So the real answer is you don't have to find Daniel on the web. He'll pretty much find (laughs) you. He'll find you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd also like to thank our intrepid producer, Mark Bosco. Say hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. And especially, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you. Music. 